First Samuel 28. First Samuel 28. And uh, I'm excited. Next weekend is our last installment in First Samuel, and we'll take a break until sometime after the first of the year. And then uh, we're going to do Colossians this fall, which is a short little letter from Paul, which I'm excited about. And then uh, we're doing this series, I've mentioned before, we're going to do a series in November called In All Her Glory, where I just want to really stir up our women to experience their giftedness and their calling in the kingdom. And I'm actually super excited because Dr. Pamela McRae, who has been with us for our marriage conferences before, she is coming out to speak on women preaching. A Moody Bible Institute prof speaking on women preaching. It's going to be a fire time for us theological nerds. And uh, yeah, so uh, don't forget, uh, September 15th is also the week that our circles kick off. Circles are our smaller communities where we embrace the lifestyle of Jesus. And this year we have one on Tuesday nights in Cortland and Wednesday nights in Howland and Thursday nights right in this building. And uh, we met with our circle leaders this week and got excited about that. So you'll be hearing more and more about that too. And so I'm just really thankful to be here and with you. Trying to think if there's anything else I need to tell you. No? So we're going to get into 1 Samuel chapter 28, which is definitely another weird passage in what's already been a weird book. And usually when we teach through these passages that are a little strange, we, we do a thing where I'm, we do a thing like I, I give you an overview of what's happening we zoom in a little bit on one of the weirder parts and then do some application. And uh, that's going to be the case today as uh, we watch uh, Saul go to the dark side and visit the Witch of Endor. And there are going to be Star Wars jokes laced throughout this. And uh, the more you get them is the more I think of you. So there is that. I said that at the last campus. Everybody was like, ah. <laughs> I was a little nervous. You've heard that phrase, uh, desperate times call for desperate measures. Desperate times call for desperate measures. In 1 Samuel 28, Saul has fallen on desperate times. This, by the way, is the last time in the narrative that Saul will really be so in focus. We'll talk about what David's been up to during this time next week. But Saul has fallen on desperate times. Look with me at uh, 1 Samuel 28, verses 3 through 7. Now Samuel had died, and all Israel had mourned for him and buried him in Ramah in his own city. And Saul had put the mediums and the necromancers out of the land. The Philistines assembled and came and encamped at Shunem, and Saul gathered all of Israel, and they encamped at Gilboa. When Saul saw the army of the Philistines, remember the Philistines are bad. Boo, Philistines. When he saw the army of the Philistines, he was afraid. And his heart trembled greatly. Saul has not seen a Philistine ever and not had a panic attack. Every time that they are confronted by the Philistines, Saul's afraid, Saul's hiding, Saul's terrified, he's quaking in his boots. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, this is verse 6, when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him, either by dreams or by Urim or by prophets. So Saul said to his servants, seek out for me a woman who is a medium, that I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servant said to him, behold, there is a medium in Endor. So Saul got into his ATST. That's a Star Wars joke. And went over there. I know. 
I'm not saying that Star Wars is scripture. I'm just saying you should really take it seriously. Um, So the Philistines are back, and this time they mean business. And Saul sees this army. Saul is trembling greatly. His heart trembles greatly. He's very afraid. But what makes these desperate times all the more desperate is that Saul seeks the Lord, and the Lord has nothing to say. Saul seeks the Lord, and the Lord is not to be found. And all of the details in these verses are trying to help us understand just how crisis level this situation is for Saul. I mean, Samuel is dead. The prophet of the Lord is dead. He's been buried. Saul needs to know what God's will is, but he can't just go to Samuel and ask him. Samuel's dead. So Samuel tries lesser prophets. He, Saul hopes for a dream, and, and none of them come. And so then it says that he uses the Urim, the Urim, the Urim and the Thummim, are Old Testament artifacts, Old Testament means of knowing the will of God. It's casting lots. It's casting lots. And I had a professor at Moody uh, in my undergrad who said all of the Old Testament means of discerning God's will are gone in the New Covenant except for the casting of lots, which is why uh, when they need a new apostle after Judas, you know, knocks himself off, uh, after Judas does that, they cast lots to pick their the new 12th apostle. And this is why I had a friend in Bible college. This is so Bible college, guys. He used to cast lots to figure out what to do on a Friday night. Do you know what casting lots is like drawing straws? It's like, you know, so he would like be like, oh, do I want to hang out with this person or that person? I'm going to cast lots and decide. Um, don't do that. That's stupid. Don't do that. Um, but he uses every means available to him and God isn't speaking And so Saul says, desperate times call for desperate measures. He says, seek out a woman who is a medium. Do you know what a medium is? They talk to dead people. A medium that I may go inquire of her. An anonymous servant says, well, there's a medium at Endor. I assume that servant says it with surprise because the text also reports that Saul had earlier cast the necromancers and the mediums out of the land. Remember, Saul is not the most obedient guy around. But again, we've also said a broken clock is right two times a day. And so Saul, at some point previously, in obedience to the law of Moses, in obedience to the Torah, had cast the mediums and the necromancers out of the land. And so when they say there's a medium at Endor, what we don't realize is that Endor is a city on the other side of enemy lines. In order to get to Endor, in order to get the medium, Saul has to cross enemy lines. So in verse 8, the text says that Saul disguises himself and some men, and they go. They go to this medium to get her to do all of this, and they're pretending to be just this anonymous person. And then look what happens in verse 11. Then the woman said, Whom shall I bring up for you? Guys, this is going to get real weird real fast. Whom shall I bring up to you? He said, Bring up Samuel for me. And when the woman saw Samuel, she cried out with a loud voice. And the woman said to Saul, why have you deceived me? You are Saul. And the king said to her, do not be afraid. What do you see? And the woman said to Saul, I see a God, lowercase g, coming up out of the earth. He said to her, what is his appearance? And she said, an old man is coming up and he is wrapped in a robe. And it's the robe that indicates to Saul that this is Samuel. It says, and Saul knew that it was Samuel. It's interesting what role clothing plays in 1 Samuel. Saul knew that it was Samuel. He bowed his face to the ground and paid homage. It's super interesting. So Saul goes to this woman 
who probably in her hut has a pit that she has dug where she pours animal blood to perform sacrifices and do rituals to call up the spirits of the dead, supposedly. Saul, later on in the text, it says that he is so hungry that he falls to the ground. Saul has probably been fasting to participate in this ritual. This was very common. I mean, going and seeing a medium at this point in the ancient Near East is like you and I going to see, like, going to urgent care when we have a sinus infection. This this is very common. It was very common knowledge that if you needed to consult your ancestors, which is a very common practice in the ancient Near East, that you go find a medium and they'll do it for you. And they'll use animal blood. They'll do these things. What's so interesting is, first of all, I don't know what to make of it other than I find it interesting that the text says, she said, I see a God, an Elohim. Elohim is actually a word often used to describe the Lord. I see a God coming up out of the earth, she says. And Saul knows that it's Samuel based on his clothing. But if Saul didn't know it was Samuel based on what he was wearing, he definitely figures it out in verses 15 through 19. Samuel said to Saul, verse 15, why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? Now, let me just tell you, the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, there is little sense of life after death. Some, but not much. Everybody goes to the same place, Sheol, the grave, where the unrighteous dead and the righteous dead dwell. What are they doing? I don't know. What are they doing? They don't know. But Samuel seems to have been yanked up and disturbed. Some, some translations say, why are you interrupting my rest? Saul answered, I'm in great distress, for the Philistines are warring against me, and God has turned away from me and answers me no more, either by prophets or dreams. Therefore, I have summoned you to tell me what to do. And Samuel said, why then do you ask me, since the Lord has turned away from you and become your enemy? Okay, ouch. The Lord has done to you as he spoke by me, for the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor David. Because you did not obey the voice of the Lord and did not carry out his fierce wrath against Amalek, therefore the Lord has done these things to you this day. Moreover, the Lord will give Israel also with you into the hands of the Philistines. Check this out. Samuel says, and tomorrow you and your son shall be with me. Yowza. The Lord will give the army of Israel also into the hands of the Philistines. This is, if this is not so interesting and curious to you, you may need to check your pulse. This is so interesting. This is why I call 1 Samuel the Wild West of the Bible, because all sorts of weird stuff is happening. I mean, tormented by evil spirits. Uh, we've looked at all sorts of these things, but this is the most interesting to me. And here's what we see. Saul, in clear violation of Israel's law, has gone to a medium for help. But when he goes to the medium for help, he asks the medium of all people to call up Samuel. I told this story at the last service, and they didn't seem to know. Have you heard about the, there's been a couple instances, it's gone viral online, where like some dude breaks into somebody's house and logs into that person's, like logs in on the computer in the house they're breaking into, into their Facebook, to like check their Facebook or even comment some things. And then they take the stuff and they leave without logging out of the computer. So then when the police are investigating this burglary, Uh, Now I'm wondering if it's not real, but I'm pretty sure it is. Um, 
The police are investigating this burglary. They get on the computer and it's like, oh, Joe Schmo is the one who broke into your house. How do we know that? Oh, it's because he left himself logged in on your computer. I mean, if you're going to break the law, do it smart. You know what I'm saying? And it, it, this, Samuel's, this little thing with Samuel and Saul feels like the same way. Like of all the people to call up Saul, why are we calling the guy who we just know is going to smack you? Like, why are we calling the guy that we know is just going to hand your butt back to you? You know what I'm saying? I, to me, it feels, like, it feels like Saul is doing a crime and calling 911 and telling the operator what he's doing the whole time. Saul is so matter-of-fact with Samuel. Do you notice this? Saul's like, oh, hello, dead Samuel. Can you tell me what to do now? Like, if this isn't weird. Like, and that's what shows you this is such a convention in the ancient Near East, that this isn't strange. Saul isn't sheepish. He isn't, he isn't apologetic. Hey, Samuel, I'm sure you were really busy doing whatever it is dead people do, but I need some help. No. He just says, I've summoned you to tell me what to do. A commentator says that the matter-of-fact tone Saul uses is to imply that he and Samuel can return to the early years of Saul's kingdom. Saul is hoping to turn back the clock to better days. It's as though he wants Samuel, I love this, to forget all that has happened. As if Saul is saying, hey, please ignore this medium standing here and the illicit way I've contacted you or the various condemnations of my character you've made in the past or the way I've recklessly sought to kill David while neglecting the Philistines all these years. Could you please tell me what to do now? And what's so interesting about Samuel's response, the spirit of Samuel's response to Saul, most of it is copy and pasted from other parts of the book of Samuel. These are things that Samuel has already said to Saul. It turns out that Samuel has nothing new to say to Saul, nothing new whatsoever. In fact, it's almost like Samuel is saying, what do you think I'm going to say to you dead that I haven't already said to you while I was alive? The pattern that I want us to do is, what is the overview of what we're doing? Let's zoom in and then apply. And it's this piece where Saul is talking to dead Samuel that gets us interested. There's a woman who attended Regen for a time. She doesn't anymore. Bright, intelligent young woman who came to Steph and I one time and told us about how from childhood she had the ability to speak to the spirits of the dead. And how in our community there were these people that would go to people's houses who were experiencing disturbances and they would go and get the spirit of, to go away and they wanted this young woman to come with them because she had the unique, spirit, unique ability to speak to the spirit, to comfort the spirit, to tell the spirit go, to go to its rest, that everything's fine. No, you don't need to stay here to take care of your loved ones. And, 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 and the spirit would go away. A high school classmate of mine, his mom died while we were growing up. Another high school classmate and some friends were playing with a Ouija board. And they asked the Ouija board what she was wearing when she died. And the Ouija board uh, gave them a very accurate response. And none of them around the table knew. When we, were, um, when we moved, Steph and I moved here, we changed from Chase Bank to Huntington. Huntington Bank. They paid me $50 to tell you that I did that. It's a little just product placement. And... Uh, 
the woman who's opening our accounts tells us this long story about her mother died, and after the funeral, she and her siblings are all at uh, her house, the mother's house, and they're having a fire, and they stop to take a picture, and the house is like in the background of the picture, there's a storm door on the house, and how in like the smoke of the flame, like you could, like the mom was there. And she shows me this picture. This is what I love being about. This is why I love being Methodist. People assume I'm toothless, right? Like if I was the pastor at like Jesus is the only way Bible church, people would never tell me this. But they're like, oh, Methodist, he's harmless. Let's tell him that story. And um, she's telling us this. She's telling, and she like shows me the picture. Like, can you see my mom in the smoke? And, and Steph and I are like, uh-huh. Yeah, how do we get out of here? You know, like we'll say whatever we need to do to... Uh, and then there's this like lighter version where I hear from a lot of people who tell me like anytime I see this kind of bird, I know it's my mother in heaven saying hello to me. We have this fascination with what happens after we die. And then we come to this passage in 1 Samuel 28 where here is someone who has died, who has been called up by a medium to speak to Saul. And this whole week while I've been praying this morning, I've been thinking about these stories because I've been thinking about the ways that we engage with the mystery of death and the ways that we do this. And so what I want to look at is like what is actually happening to Saul here and then kind of apply that to us. What is actually happening? Like, and, and the question is, is Saul speaking to a demon who is pretending to be Samuel or is he speaking to Samuel? And this is an important question because mediums practice in the world of the dark arts. They practice on demonic territory. And so if Billy Sue, another Israelite, because I don't know if you know, Billy Sue, a very common biblical name at the time of Samuel, Billy Sue decided to go and she needed to talk to her great-great-grandma Flo, also another common Old Testament biblical name, She would go to this medium, and she'd pay that medium money, and there would be this ritual, and then up from the grave comes Flo, and Flo might know a thing or two about her life, but whatever Flo may appear to be, she really is a demonic presence, and I'll explain that in a second. But what's interesting about what happens in 1 Samuel is it looks, to, it looks that, that the Lord suspends the rules. That the Lord suspends the rules and really does allow Samuel and Saul to speak. It really is Samuel. And we know it really is Samuel because Saul knows it's Samuel just by looking at his clothing and we know it's Samuel by what he has to say to Saul. And I've been trying to think, okay, is this like a unique situation? Has it, is it repeatable? And then Art made a really interesting connection to Matthew chapter 17. So if you've got a Bible, go to Matthew 17 just for a second because we see something similar to 1 Samuel 28 in Matthew 17. Go to Matthew 17. It's not going to be on the screen because I like to mess with you. This is the transfiguration of Jesus, which is an event that I won't go fully into. But it says in chapter 17, verse 1, After six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John his brother and led them up a high mountain by themselves. 
And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. Verse 3, and behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with them. As Jesus is transfigured, the Lord yanks Moses and Elijah from wherever they happen to be to have a conversation with Jesus, just like the Lord yanks Samuel for wherever he happens to be at this conversation with Saul. What's so interesting about what's happening in 1 Samuel 28 is that God uses a means of communication that he has expressly forbidden, but he suspends the rules that he himself has made so that Saul can speak with Samuel again. And what happens to Saul? He's further disciplined. This is the last nail in the coffin of Saul's leadership. This is the last nail in the coffin of Saul's leadership. It is all downhill from here. Spoiler alert, Saul's about to die in chapter 31. And this one instance, just because I want to be very clear, is not the Bible giving you permission to go and find a medium and to go like try to call up someone from the Bible to have a conversation with them. This is more about the condemnation of Saul going against his own commands, going against the commands of the Lord, using this thing, and then getting kind of smacked by, by, by Samuel. But what I want to do with this is I want, to, I want to kind of make three applications from this text. And the first has to do with this spirituality stuff. The first has to do with this spirituality stuff, because in the Old Testament, God forbids the practice of witchcraft and sorcery and magicians all throughout, especially in like the book of Leviticus, there's a lot of rules about this. Saul, in this rare moment of obedience, followed the law, said no more necromancers, no more mediums in the land. But why does God forbid these things? Why does God forbid magicians, sorcerers, and whatnot in the land? It is a classic example of sin isn't bad because it's forbidden, it's forbidden because it's bad. Sin isn't bad because it's forbidden. Sin is forbidden because it's bad. Do you catch that idea? We think sin is, uh, we, we think sin is bad because it's forbidden. It's, oh, I'm doing this forbidden thing, oh, look at me. No, sin is forbidden because it is bad. And then I came across this quote in an Old Testament commentary that's been keeping me awake, so now it can keep you awake. He, Bill Arnold, who I think teaches at Asbury Seminary, says, the Old Testament's ban on magic is not based on the assertion that magic is ineffective. On the contrary, magic is banned precisely because it works. Magic works because it is the domain of what Jesus calls the powers of the heavens, what Paul calls the spiritual or elemental powers of this world, and we're going to get into this more when we get into Colossians, that Paul calls the spiritual powers of this world. The Old Testament forbids it, the New Testament warns against it because it places us on enemy territory. It places us on footing where evil is real and powerful. There was this interesting moment. So this woman comes to us and says, I do this thing, and we immediately tap out. Because I'm like, yeah, I have no, no idea or experience with what this woman is talking about. Like, she's literally talking about, like, not, I, I, sometimes you have to kind of joke about something because it makes you so uncomfortable. Like, she's doing, like, this sixth sense, I talk to dead people going around with Ghostbusters thing. And um, so we call some friends of ours that are missionaries, that are retired missionaries who served in Taiwan. Art and Pam served in Thailand. They served in Taiwan. And uh, so we bring them over. We all sit down. And as they talk with this young woman who, again, she's not like, like in the car before she gets in. I mean, this is, a, this is legit. She's a smart woman. She's capable. And here's what this couple, our missionary friends, say to her. They said, whether or not you're speaking to that person's spirit or a demon, well, let's answer that question, please, but they didn't. 
okay? Whether or not you're speaking to that person's spirit or not, you need to stay away from it. And it was probably the most New Testament thing that has ever happened to me as pastor because she stopped hanging out with these people. She went away from it. She started being discipled. And they made this really interesting comment that I'll just leave with you. The Bible talks about a spiritual gift called the discernment of spirits. And their comment to us and to this young woman was that some people are born with the gift of discerning of spirits before they even come to Christ which was why from her childhood she was able to engage in this way. And so part of her discipleship was bringing that gift and that ability under the lordship of Jesus. So interesting. Um, You know, the funny thing about a lot of the stuff, though, for her is what she thought was that this was a God-given ability, and because she was engaging in the spiritual, she was engaging with God. And this is where we need to be really careful because especially if you are a new follower of Jesus— and some of you are, I want you to catch this, that just because it's spiritual doesn't mean it's good. Just because it's spiritual doesn't mean it's good. And we tend to think that if it's spiritual, it must be from God and bring me closer to God. Um, and that's not true. Despite the fact that a lot of spiritual stuff to start out with is marketed very lightheartedly. Right now, we could go to Target and get a Ouija board. Now, Target doesn't have like an aisle for the occult, right? There's no occult aisle and the Halloween stuff only comes out once a year. So they've decided to put the Ouija board next to Monopoly in the board game section. So it's marketed harmless. It's marketed like it's no big deal. Talk to millennials. They love their crystals. That gets real weird real fast. Talk to millennials who love essential oils. And if you start talking to the right people, essential oils start to sound like they're magic and not just like the thing that we had in our hospital room because we didn't want to smell hospital while we were like there for 17 years with Jack. Even yoga can end up being connected to and representative of spiritually deceitful things. Not all, but some. Engaging with the spiritual requires a great deal of discernment and a great deal of caution because what is marketed towards you as healthy and holistic and good and what you with new Christian eyes think, oh, this gets me to God just as much as the other stuff does, actually is part of a spiritual force that is in open rebellion to God. Just because it's spiritual doesn't mean it's good, Right? And, and while the thrust of this text has some other things, I wanted to stop and make sure that our like new Christians in the room, our old Christians in the room, our maturing Christians in the room, have a sense of caution toward these things, okay? And a putting off. I mean, the early church, like one of the first things you had to do in the early church was like clean all the extra idols out of your house, right? That's crazy. We, we don't think of that now. But when Americans spend more on Halloween decorations than they do on Christmas decorations, we begin to get a sense that there's something going on in our culture that we're opening ourselves up to some things in some weird ways. So that's the first kind of spiritual in general. The second is I want to talk a little bit about God's silence in this text because I think it's a different kind of God's silence than we're used to dealing with. We've, we talked about God's silence a little bit back in the Doubt series, if you were here, and because it's something that I really wrestle with a lot, Uh, it's something that I tend to preach on a lot is this idea of like, there's these moments when God just goes silent 
And very often when we are in a season of suffering, it feels like God has gone silent. And I think that's because it's almost like over the roar of our pain and the disorientation that comes with that, we couldn't hear God if we tried. But this, this silence here in 1 Samuel 28 is very different than like a Psalm 22 silence. Because the silence in 1 Samuel 28 feels intentional. It feels exceptionally purposeful. And it has the weight to me of discipline. It has the weight of discipline. Because when Saul gets Samuel... Samuel's response is basically, there is no new information here for you. There's nothing that I have to say to you that we already don't know. And and so what I want to propose is that there are some among us today who are shaking their fist at God because God is silent, and he is simply being quiet because he has no new information, and you need to act on what he's already revealed to you. It's as if God is saying, I'm not going to give you further instruction because what I've given you to this point is plenty. I, we've been listening to some parenting podcasts. A really good one is called Raising Boys and Girls. And uh, they were talking about raising boys. And if you've raised boys, like there's some longtime parents in this room that'll laugh when I say this, but like boys cannot handle multiple instructions at a time. So moms, you know, when you get home from soccer practice that you say, all right, guys, we've got a lot that we want to get done tonight. So I need you to go inside. I need you to take off your cleats. I need you to go up. I need you to wash your hands. I need you to shower. I need you to get changed. I need you to put all your clothes in the dirty hamper and then come down. We're going to get started on the homework. You know that when you walk inside, he's going to be, the boy's just going to be like wearing his cleats, everything dirty, kind of wandering around playing with Legos, right? And uh, it's because boys, what do boys need? And I'm a boy, so I can tell you this. Boys need one thing at a time. Thank you very much right? We're going to go inside. Check. We're going to wash our hands. Check. Right? We're going to go shower. Check. And uh, the Lord kind of functions like that with all of us. Some of you are sitting in a silence that is simply because you won't do what you already know you should be doing. As the Lord has no new revelation for you at this time. Come back and check after you finish these things. The last thing, by the way, I think has this idea, and it, it kind of just came to me this morning, so I'm going to write my sermon a little bit as we talk. Grace Campus, we kind of cut our teeth on this together. But what's interesting about Saul in this passage is that Saul wants and needs to hear revelation from God, right? He needs to know what the Lord has to say. But what's interesting is that it's almost like Saul goes around God to get to God, Do you see how he does that? Like Saul goes and does this thing that's expressly forbidden to get to God and wonders why it's not working out. Saul goes around God to get to God. This is, like I said, a new concept. So here's maybe a small example of this. I am a verbal processor. I am an extrovert. I'm an external processor. So very often I don't know what I think about something until I've talked about it. Okay? Okay. A pastor I used to work with always used to say, I'm going to say this out loud and see if I agree with it. I love that because that's how I live my life. I'm going to say that out loud and be like, yeah, no, I don't think that's true. That's why, like, I love therapy. I, I would go to counseling all the time because I love talking, you know. It's great. And, uh, so pray for my wife. And, um, but there will be, there's been these moments in my life where the Lord will be, the Father will be very clear with me and say, hey, you and I are just going to work this out together. You and I, one-on-one, let's pray about this. And I'm like, that sounds really great. I'm also going to talk to five other people so I can get more wisdom. I want 
insight. I want wisdom. I want to understand. And the Lord's like, I will give you that. Let's just work it out one-on-one. And I said, that's great, but I'm going to go around you to get that. I'm going to go around God in prayer to go talk to my mentors and my friends and my spiritual directors and like all these people that are really wise. And I get the insight and the knowledge and the understanding I need, but not from where God wanted me to get it. I go around God to get to God. I'm wondering if you do this. I wonder if we do this. I wonder if we do this. This is, I think, something that happens. I made this remark a couple weeks ago. Um, We cannot use other people's faith to get to God. Um, It is really interesting. You you cannot use your parents' faith because we're in a community of a lot of like 40s and under who are coming to Jesus for the first time. Your parents, your siblings, your children cannot rest on your faith to get to God. That is going around God to get to God. Every person needs to decide for themselves what to do with the message of Jesus. And, And a lot of times going around God to get to God is resting on previous spiritual experiences right? And so what we do is we kind of take a break. I'm mature. I'm good. I know all these things. So I'm just going to rest in that. I'm going to go around God to get to God. This is the problem I have with, by the way, confusing church attendance and Christian behavior with walking with Jesus because we go around God to get to God. I'm here every Sunday. I give. I serve. I go to a circle. I go to a small group. I went to a circle. I went to a small group. I have been discipled. I know all of this content. I'm going around God to get to God. All of 1 Samuel has been about this idea of we use God instead of interact with him. We preached a sermon on that a little while ago, but it's interesting that Saul goes around God to get to God. I'm wondering if we do that. And then this is a couple things that happens. This is why a person who can be in church for so long can be so stunted in their spiritual growth. Because I'm brushing up against good content. I've read some good things. I've heard some good sermons. I know that song. I've been in church for a long time. And we're stunted spiritually because we got so close that we're just going around God to get to him. But the reality is there's no living relationship with Jesus there. The fruit of this, by the way is why almost every funeral I have done for Grace Church means that I need to re-preach the gospel to the person who is dying. Because they've gone around God to get to God and they have no assurance that God loves them. They have no assurance that God has saved them. If you spend your life going around God to get to God, you will, on your deathbed, wonder if you've been good enough, which was never the question. When I trust in other people's faith instead of my own, I go around God instead of getting to him. The prayer you want to have for your friends, your family, your parents, your siblings, your kids, is that they would personally encounter Jesus. Not just when you drag them here on special occasions, like your daughter's baptism, stuff like that, like, or Christmas or Easter or those things, that they would have a personal encounter with Jesus. What's so interesting about 1 Samuel 28, it, it kind of ends on this idea of... Um, It ends on this idea of Saul weak and hungry and just famished and starving and emaciated because he's fasted. And I wonder if that's not what happens to us when we go around God to get to God. I wonder if we end up spiritually starving, spiritually emaciated because we keep getting so close to the real thing, but we keep just brushing around it and going around it at the wrong time. And so we end up spiritually stunted, spiritually emaciated, absolutely ravenous for the presence of God, but unable to feast on it. 
when we go around to get to God, we, we, we miss out on the bread of life. We miss out. So I wonder if that's you. I wonder if today, and it's not an if, it's how. How are you going around God to get him? How are you avoiding God? Let's pray. Hey, Jesus, thank you that you are patient with us even when we kind of go our own way. Thank you that you are kind to us even when we are avoidant of you. God, I pray for uh, those of us in the spiritual family that are dabbling in the dark. Um, God, I pray that you would um, uh, that you would draw them back into the light and that you would rid them of the spiritual that is actually against you. I pray that for those of us that have spent our life going around you to get to you, that you would move and interrupt us and grab us by the face and look us in the eye today, that we would repent of that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, friends, I took some, uh, jotted down some thoughts that I think are worth exploring. Um, Where am I going around God to get God? Where have I gone to satisfy my need for him without him? Um, In what areas is God silent? Where in my life does it seem like he's not speaking? And where has he already spoken? Um, And then lastly, are there any seemingly spiritual practices that I am being asked to give up? So we have a few minutes um, just to take some time. There's space on the back of your program packet. Um, And then we're going to get into communion.